Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast, a ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA BCM. We hope you enjoy today's episode. us tonight, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm still nervous about this. I don't get nervous when I speak very much. Um, I just really don't anymore, um, and tonight, I am, um, and uh, I'm not really sure why, uh, probably because I feel like I'm going to offend everybody in the room before this is over with, um, so first off and foremost, I love you guys, all right, and that remains even if you get mad at me at some point during tonight. Uh, second off, you're like, what's, if you didn't catch social media today, uh, then you're like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. So basically, uh, in light of a lot of the different events that have been going on, really since February the 8th across the country, I felt like it was imperative for us to have a conversation at some point about really what is revival. Um, and uh, that's, that's not what's on the screen, obviously, because um, that's what we were going to do, right? We were going to continue through the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5. Uh, verse 21 through verse 48. We're going to get back to there uh, next week. And uh, matter of fact, I had the whole sermon ready to go, ready to rock and roll. And uh, I've got some guys that I meet with every other Monday morning here. I bring them some chicken biscuits or donuts or something. And we meet upstairs. And uh, we're going through Nehemiah right now. And, and I think some of this came out of a place of we're in Nehemiah chapter 9. We just finished 8, 9, and I guess 8, 9. And we're about to go into 10. And, uh, and so... It's really interesting what you see in that book as Nehemiah is, uh, he's went back to Jerusalem where he's helped them to rebuild the wall and led them to rebuild the wall. And then he turns his attention towards their spiritual needs. And uh, we see in chapter 8 where ultimately the people begin to to read God's word uh, and they spend a very long time reading God's word. Uh, and, uh, and then they realize that there are certain celebrations and festivals and feasts that they haven't been celebrating while they'd been in captivity. And even while those, the remnant had went back to Jerusalem uh, because there was no safety, because there was no wall built and all those different types of things. And so they reestablished some of those festivals. And uh, then we see them turn really to this, this mode of repentance where they begin to repent and, and call out to God uh, on, on behalf of really not just their selves, but even previous generations. And, uh, and then they, at the end of that chapter, uh, they all agree to, to sign a covenant, basically. And, uh, and then the next time we get together, we're going to get into that. And so I began thinking about that this morning as I left. Uh, and some of this, I will say, is uh, in reference to something that we're going to be doing this Thursday, which I'll explain in a minute. And so I was explaining what we were wanting to do on Thursday to some of our, our guys and uh, I was mentioning what had taken place out in Asbury and in other different places around uh, the country. And, uh, and so some questions sort of popped up to me from some of them. And so I got home. And again, my sermon's ready to go for tonight and all this and so forth. And uh, I, I called Allie. Uh, and we talked for a few minutes. And uh, basically, um, since this morning, I've written something entirely different. All right? Uh, and, and I want us to answer. Matter of fact, when you got that post... Um, that, that went out, the video on social media on our story that Natalie so graciously did. Matter of fact, somebody told me, they gave me credit for that, Natalie. They were like, hey, that was awesome you got Natalie to do I said, I didn't get Natalie to do that. She's just a good president. She just figured out how to do it on her own, right? All right? And so, um, so yeah, what Natalie didn't know is that when that post went out, like, I, 
yeah, I didn't have anything ready to go tonight. I just knew this is what we were going to talk about. Y'all got it? So I'm nervous for that reason. Uh, the second reason I'm nervous is, is because the reality of it is, is there's a lot out there on social media right now about what's taking place in Asbury and other places. Um, and, uh, and, and a lot of it stems around, uh, in all reality, some, a fear of, of this concept of revivalism, uh, which was a movement in really the 16th, 17th, and 18th uh, centuries. Uh, we see it a lot in the United States. Uh, really, it was at the height of the First and Second Great Awakening. Uh, really, or I should say the First Great Awakening, I should say. Um, and, and a little bit there into the Second Great Awakening. Um, and uh, there's a fear of that. Um, I think one of the reasons is because one of the ideas behind revivalism was that uh, you, could, you would schedule revivals, you would schedule tent meetings and so forth with the expectation that people were going to get saved. And uh, while there was a significant amount of, of, of movement of the Holy Spirit in many of those meetings, and you had some amazing pastors that came out of those movements, and you had uh, some great soul winners that came out of those movements, with any great movement of God, there are also counterfeits. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? We see that in Scripture. And uh, if you're not careful, when there's a massive movement of God that's taking place, sometimes, if you're hypercritical, you can focus on the counterfeits. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Right? And then you can critique everything else based upon those counterfeits. That's dangerous, if I'm being completely honest. So there's the first thing I may have offended somebody with. All right? And so that's dangerous, if I'm being completely honest. The, the other reason I think that some of the critiques have came out with what's taking place in Asbury is because there have been varying levels of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, denominational groups that have, that have jumped into this, which has brought with it varying levels of sometimes primary, sometimes secondary, sometimes tertiary doctrinal issues. And anytime you get where something begins to cross denominational lines, you get a lot of people that like to fuss and argue about things. Some of those things they should fuss and argue about. Some of those things they probably shouldn't fuss and argue about. Does that make sense? All right. And so, uh, so there is a dynamic at play where I, I want to handle this with kit gloves tonight. But I also want to be very honest. And so I'm going to do my best to speak what I speak tonight uh, in the way that we're called to, which is with grace and love, but also with truth. Okay. So I say a couple of things tonight as we get started. Number one, when I say the one thing that's probably going to offend you at some point tonight, what I don't need you to do is to run back to your pastor or your college pastor or your student pastor back home and be like, you, you won't believe what my campus minister said tonight. You got it? What I, what I don't mind if you do is this. If you want to say, hey, my campus minister said this, go check out the podcast when it comes out and listen to the thing in its entirety so that there's context to what I said, then, hey, that's good. You got it? That's good. Maybe it'll start a discussion that'll be, uh, you know, that'll build both of you up. That'll be exhorting to both of you, okay? And so, um, so I, I do want to share that with you. And because uh, there are some things that when you deal with this idea of, of, uh, of revival and what is revival, uh, that if you take them and just a snippet of some things that are said without the context of the entire thing, um, yeah, it, it can be tough. Uh, what I would also say is this, nothing I'm saying tonight is directed or geared towards anyone or any group or any church or any ministry. Does that make sense? Okay, that's not what this is about. This is about us taking a dive into scripture, figuring out exactly what revival is, and figuring out based on what the Bible says that revival is, how it is that we as Bible-believing Christians should respond to what's taking place across our country. All right, y'all got that? And it's to set the stage, honestly, for what we're going to do on Thursday, 
because I just don't want any silliness and craziness going on on Thursday. All right, and so I'm being honest about that up front as well. So with that in mind, what in the world does revival mean? Well, we can define the term revival, I think, to begin with this idea of that to revive something is to mean to bring it back from dead to life, right? Um, and, uh, and, and what we also know, and I'll go ahead and set the parameter for this, when we look at scripture, I'm going to throw out a bunch of scriptures in just a minute. Um, we, we don't see necessarily the term revival as we reference it in the church today. But we do see places in which God's people call out to him, cry out to him to revive them. And we do see examples, as I mentioned, Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem there. And also, if you look at Hezekiah, we see examples of stories, particularly in the Old Testament, where leaders and prophets uh, came about and really led the people through a process of revival. Because if you know anything about God's people, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, you know that one of the issues is, is that for a while they would do really good and they'd be really obedient. And then all of a sudden they'd fall off the deep end. And when they fell off the deep end, what would happen? They'd get taken captive, right? And usually what would happen is, actually all the time we see what would happen is, is in that captivity, then someone would, would sort of rise up, right? God would call somebody out to lead his people back. And, uh, and in that process, we would see repentance take place, we'd see confession take place, and we would see them restored and renewed back to what their standing was. And so with that in mind, we do see examples of that. And so I want to jump into that if we can, and just, and just look really, uh, to start with, I, I guess we'll be honest with you, is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I'm using my phone so I can get to these scriptures faster. All right, so I'm getting these scriptures faster. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. As I'm saying that, my, my dad, we have a group text that's uh, like all the pastors and ministers in my family and my aunts and not my aunts. That, yeah, that would get me fired since I'm a BCM guy, right? Um, nobody laughed at that when I said it. That's scary. Um, yeah, uh, but all my uncles and my cousins and so forth, and they're texting me while I'm trying to preach. This is great. All right, so here we are, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And it says, um, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, my ears will be attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Now you've got to understand that ultimately this is Solomon and he is uh, dedicating the temple. This passage is taken out of context over and over and over again. Some of your grandmothers may have had this passage posted on like their, uh, a magnet on the refrigerator. Y'all know what I'm talking about? See, I just offended somebody else, didn't I probably? All right? And so the reality is, is that you also find in the political world, uh, particularly when you go to one particular end of the spectrum of the political world, you'll hear this passage quoted over and over and over again about the United States of America. News alert for just a second. This has nothing to do with the United States of America. Okay? This has everything to do with the fact that Solomon, in its context, is dedicating the temple. Right? And so this is about God's chosen people in the Old Testament. Now what we can surmise from this is this. Is that if my people who are called by my name, right? You get what I'm saying there? If my people who are called by my name, who are God's people today? Somebody answer that out loud because you're going to have to do the church. Yeah, believers, right? And so we do see that ultimately that God is setting a precedent 
for how he responds to his people. And in this, we do see that we can apply this to this concept of revival, that there is a time in God's people's lives where when they have strayed away from him, that ultimately, if those who are called by his name humble themselves, pray and seek their face, and turn from their wicked ways, he will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So we see that. You also turn over here to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15 through 19. Go ahead and turn there with me, if you will, as I scroll up and down on my phone. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15 through 19. See why I said I was going to use my phone? All right, here we go. Y'all ready? Good. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and holy spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly. And to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me. And the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I stuck him, or I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, check this out, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him. And his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal, heal him. So here again, we see a passage of scripture, which again, you've got to read within the context of it as Isaiah is speaking here. But we can see again the nature of who God is and how he relates to his people. In this sense, those who are backslidden and who call on him and that he will revive them. Okay, so we see the trend in Second Chronicles and Isaiah That from the text, we see that God has a heart for calling back those who are far from him. Does that make sense? Like that is God's desire, right? That is God's desire. What we also see in both of these examples, and in many other examples throughout Scripture, is that when it comes to this concept of reviving, it is talking again about God's people. Does that make sense? It is talking about God's people. Then we turn over to Psalm. Now, y'all know I hate proof texting. I usually get in a passage and boom, we hammer it. But tonight, I don't know any other way to do this. All right? Psalm 85. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. And put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us our salvation. Or your salvation, I'm sorry. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. And righteousness looks down uh, from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. So once again, we see that God's people... When they have a desire to seek after God, guess what he will, redu- he, do- he will do? He will revive them. You read the same thing in Psalm chapter 80. And then you flip over to the New Testament in James chapter 4 verse 8. And in James chapter 4 verse 8, the Bible says, and I'm, I'm quoting this, that if you draw nigh to God, he will guess what? Draw near to you. Right? And then it talks about being humble. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 13 and verse 14. Listen to this as I read this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 and verse 14. 
But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So when we take the entirety of Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we begin to seek out what Scripture says about being revived, being awakened, being renewed in our relationship with Christ, we realize that in all of those examples you'll find, he is talking about those who already have a relationship with God. His chosen people, and then in the New Testament, whether it be in James or Ephesians there, the believer. And so I say that to say this. Revival is for the believer. I want to say again, revival is for the believer. It is for the church and it is for Christians. And, and so it is, it is the example of taking something that is from dead to life, something that is lowly, that is raised back up again, something that needs to be renewed and to be renewed. And so the question then is, is how does revival come about? Well, in every single one of these incidences, and if you go and read the story about Hezekiah, uh, and then if you, and that, which is in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1 through 4, and 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and 30, what you'll find there is that what Hezekiah does is he opens back the doors to the house of the Lord when he takes over as ruler, and he repents on behalf of the people and for everything that had taken place, and then worship is restored. When you look at Nehemiah, they read scripture, they confess through prayer, and they sign a covenant restoring worship to the Lord and the things that God had promised them. So, I say that to say this. How does revival happen? Well, it's very simple. God's people come to a place of repentance and confession that leads to obedience. That, I want to say again, that... Is how we get to revival. God's people come to a place of repentance and confession that leads to obedience. Now, many of you may be sitting here going, but I grew up in a church where we had revival services like once a year. Anybody grew up in a church where we had revival services once a year? Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's okay. You can raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, listen. I did, right? Uh, I mean, my dad's over here. Text I have 22 missed text messages. I literally texted them right there and said, hey, and I was, I was, Kind of being funny because I told him what I was about to preach about, right? And I was like, hey, revival's about to break out. I need you to quit texting me. Y'all get what I'm saying? Right? And they're still texting me. Okay? So, and, and my dad's like, hey, where can I hear this? I said, on the podcast in like a week. So he's going to hear me talking about him. Quit texting me. All right? But anyways, here's the point. Churches can call stuff whatever churches want to call stuff. I wholeheartedly believe, based on New Testament scripture, that there is the gift of the evangelist. I wholeheartedly believe that. One of the things that breaks my heart today is that churches and ministries in general have quit using the gift of the evangelist. There are certain guys that I am telling you, like they can read the phone book and somehow people get saved. Y'all ever met people like that? Like, I don't get it, right? I say it's the person that'll share Jesus with the brick wall kind of thing, right? You know what I mean? And, and, and so I, I truly wholeheartedly believe that. And, and the reality of it is this, is that what's happened over the course of years throughout the church is that the churches will have evangelists come in in many cases, and it creates confusion amongst their people, and, and, and it's the best of intentions, and I get that. So I'm not blasting some church that still even today may have uh, revivals that they call revivals, but yet really it, it's, it's in all reality it's an evangelistic crusade is what it really is. 
It's just the, the gift of the evangelist. It's the person that has the gift of the evangelist that's coming in to do what God's called them to do, which is really to kind of bring in the harvest. That's a biblical term and a biblical concept, right? The laborers, or the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Y'all get what I'm saying, right? And so I think that's created some confusion because nobody really knows what a revival really is. Or we think, as a result of that, that a revival can be planned by man. We're going to have a revival at this time on this night. Come be a part of it. Biblically and scripturally, that doesn't really line up. Again, I'm not blasting anybody that that's what they call it, but I'm being honest about it. True revival is something that happens within the person, the individual, and yes, can happen to, happen to the church corporately or as a whole. But true revival is, is heaven sent. Does that make sense? And, and what happens is, is that yes, we can create a posture in which we are ready for it, but that posture is a posture of repentance and confession. Now, y'all notice I haven't talked about Asbury yet at all because what I want to do is define what revival is and then we can look at that and then I'm going to give y'all some time to do some Q&A, okay? Y'all got it? So, don't go home and tell your mom and your dad and your grandparents that I can't believe we had revivals back in the day. Those weren't really revivals. They were really evangelistic crusades because we were just trying to see people get saved. That's not what I'm telling you, Okay? All right, somebody well-meaning back years and years ago called them revivals. What I will tell you is this. Some churches do understand that revivals are for to be revived and to have revival is for the church, right? And so there are churches who understand that. And so when they schedule a revival, in many cases what they are doing is bringing in an outside speaker, someone else, a group or whatever, to focus on the church, with the prayer that revival will break out amongst their people, which will then impact the fruit and, and obedience in their people's lives. Does that make sense? Okay? So I don't, I don't want to get us confused there. And so that's what revival is. It's misdefined, misdefined though. Sometimes, not, not, by any, you know, mis, in, well, no, not by any bad intentions, but sometimes just because of what we've done as, as, as a church in many cases. Let me tell you what else revival is not. Revival is not a continual worship service. See, I just offended someone else. I know that. Okay? But it's not. Okay? Can revival potentially lead to a continual worship service? It can. It can. But remember, revival is heaven sent. Revival is not man-made. Right? Revival is not emotionalism. Okay? If I turn the bass up high enough in this room, I can stir y'all all into an emotional fit. That's proven psychologically. You realize that? That's why they do it at rock concerts. I'm not trying to make you a cynic when I tell you that. It's just the truth. Okay? And y'all know I like new music as much as anybody. All right? But that's the truth. And so it's not an emotionalism. It's really not. Uh, it, is, it is not something that can be planned. Uh, it is not a continual worship service. And it's not even an experience. Now, when revival happens in your heart and your life, guess what? You will have an experience. The Holy Spirit will be so thick over you, you won't know what to do. You will know you can't do anything but obey. Does that make sense? But for an experience, to truly be an experience with God, 
it always leads to action and obedience. It doesn't lead to, I'm going to sit in a place for two or three hours, and then I'm going to leave and nothing's going to change. Except for me to go, man, that was amazing, so I want to go back there again. Does that make sense? It may have been amazing. But if it doesn't impact you in a way in which you do something about it, you should have just went, what's that concert my daughter's going to in April? I made a bunch of money off of a bunch of people. Taylor Swift. That's an experience. Some of y'all are going to hate me now because I bought six of those tickets and resold four of them. Woo! I did not take advantage of any of you. And I wanted to take advantage of people more than I did, but my wife wouldn't let me. Hmm? The money is in the bank. That's right. That's good. Scout, I'm glad you're here, man. And a revival is not an evangelistic crusade. That can be an overflow of a revival. But that's not the original intent of a revival. Those are actually two different things. Might I add that a revival is really defined afterwards. It's really defined afterwards. I'll give you some examples through history. You go to 1720 to about 1750, you have the Great Awakening. Y'all heard of guys like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield. Those guys had such an impact, you had to learn about them in U.S. history in a secular school, right? Yeah. Second Great Awakening, somewhere around 1795 to 1835. Guys like James McGreedy, you don't hear these guys as much. Lynn Beecher, Tim Dwight, Charles Finney. Charles Finney's had a lot of negative things said about him, but that may be why you don't hear him as much, but the dude really could preach. The problem is, is, the reality is, is some people had a very negative view and thought he sort of did some manipulating things. Um, I'm not making a judgment on that because then I defend a lot of people that know who Charles Finney is. So, Third Great Awakening, 1875 to 1950, or 1915. Guys like D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey, Billy Sunday. If there was no Billy Sunday, there would be no Billy Graham. Now, there are guys who like they look at the first, second, and third great awakening, and because they're sort of fearful of this revivalism thing, they, they like to bash it. And what I'd say is this. There's a lot of folks that gave their heart and life to Jesus during the first, second, and third great awakening. And one day, you're going to be in heaven with them. You should go up to them and try to bash revivalism to them and see how that goes. I'm pretty sure there's a scripture somewhere that basically says that as long as the gospel is preached, it really doesn't even matter the intent. I'm paraphrasing. Does that make sense? Okay. And then, hey, check this out. In 1970, there was something called, already one time before, the Asbury Revival, which was a large thrust for what we know today as the Jesus Movement. There's a movie about to come out about it. Uh, the Jesus movement lasted from the 70s into the 80s. Bunch of hippies, bunch of drug addicts, I'm being honest, right? There was this dude, famous music guy named Larry Norman that a bunch of old people still to this day really love. A lot of, lot of, lot of different styles of music show up. Matter of fact, they had 80,000 people show up to this thing called Explode 1972. That Campus Crusade, which is what we know today as crew put on. We're scared of using the word crusade these days. Y'all realize that, right? Our culture is kind of wimps. So, like, there's certain words we don't like to use because they have negative connotations from history. Crusade is one of those, right? 
Y'all get that? It's not a political statement. It's just true. It's the world we live in. Okay? And, and so Campus Crusade even changed their name. Now they're just known as Crew. Right? We don't call them Evangelistic Crusades anymore. We don't call them Harvest Crusades anymore. It might offend somebody. Right? And so uh, that happened in 1972. Guys like Billy Graham show up. A guy named Bill Bright shows up. And do you know the sad part? I'm a Southern Baptist through and through. I was born in 1981, so I guess I can't take too much blame for this. So what happened with the Jesus movement is you had a bunch of guys with long hair, a bunch of girls dressed different that showed up coming out of this whole hippie thing, this free love thing, this like drug thing, right? With no theological training whatsoever, no real understanding of scripture whatsoever. They just knew that what they were doing wasn't fulfilling them at all. And they knew that it was wrong. And they knew that Jesus could change their life. And they gave their hearts and lives to Jesus. And it created this massive movement. And because they came out of the hippie thing and all the bands and all that kind of stuff. They liked a little bit different type of worship. A little bit of different type of music. And honestly... A lot of really strong theologically conservative SBC folks probably helped kill the thing. Because they didn't look like us. They didn't sing like us. They didn't act like us. And rightfully so, they were crazy theologically in some ways. Now, the sad part of that is this. What we should have done is we should have taken those folks under our wings and said, hey... Let me, let me train you in what scripture says. Let me train you how to live out your faith. Let, let me explain to you what it means to worship God. Like that's what we probably should have done. But we didn't. And because we didn't, what ended up happening is, is that entire movement ended up splitting in the 1980s. And you literally had Christian communes where folks just sort of completely isolated themselves from everybody else. And then on the other end of it, you had a track which eventually led to what we call today hypercharismaticism. So my point is, is we've already missed the boat one time. Let's not miss it again. I sort of already told you now what I think about this whole thing, didn't I? So what's going on in Asbury, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. February 8th, one of their assistant, I think it's soccer coaches or something like that, got up to preach on Romans chapter 12. And he talked a lot about love. There have been people that have thrown stones and bashed him because he talked about God's love and didn't stand up that day and talk about sin and repentance. Well, he, he, he did preach out of the text that he was given. He did. And God's love also is important. And uh, he said at the end of his sermon, Lord, revive us by your love. I would also say his sermon was directly to Christians already. Like that's who he was preaching to that day. Like it was not that he, he, you can go back and forth on whether you want to say he should have made an assumption there were lost people in the room or whatever. But what I'm saying is, is his text and his sermon was clearly geared towards those who were already believers in Jesus Christ and explaining them to live out their life in love. Does that make sense? Right? And he said, revive us by your love. Sermon's over. Service is over. Everybody goes on the merry way. 18 people stick around. One guy starts confessing his sin to the other 18. 
The other 18 begin to confess some things and tell testimonies of how God has worked in their life. The band, some worship leaders, realize what's going on. They get back on the platform, they begin to lead. It started with 18 people. It didn't start as a production. It didn't start as a show. It didn't start as emotionalism. It didn't start with somebody being slain in the spirit. It didn't start with somebody speaking in tongues. It didn't start with somebody waving banners. It didn't start with any of that stuff. It didn't start with a fog machine. Not that anybody uses fog machines anymore anyways. Those things are old now, right? Nowadays, it's like you go to a church and use a fog machine. It's like, what? And you like run the other way. What are y'all doing? Right? Like, right? That's not what it started with. It started with 18 folks. One of which began to confess his sin. Well, lo and behold... Let's go back to scripture and see what revival starts with within an individual and within a corporate group. It starts with confession and repentance, doesn't it? And now, here we are. Cedarville University, which is a Baptist school. Lee University, which is a Pentecostal school. And Sanford University, which is a Baptist school, have had some sort of movement that's taken place on their campus as well. So you got four Christian schools, you got the Methodist, two Baptist schools, and a Pentecostal school. Good gracious, that's across a lot of denominational lines, isn't it? They could have a lot to fuss and fight about, couldn't they? And out of this, we now see things all over social media about what's good, what's bad, and all of that. Right? You have the critics, sort of academic response of, well, he didn't preach this. You have the critics, sort of the academic response of, well, a faith healer showed up out there. Not that Asbury could do anything about the faith healer showing up. And he took advantage of it, put it on social media and blew it up trying to get his name big. You, you have the person that says, well, I read somewhere that there were some LGBTQ people on the stage leading worship. Well, number one, if you go read Asbury's statement of faith, their statement of faith is extremely strong, which says that sex is to be reserved between... A husband and wife relationship only. And anything outside of that is sin. That's what their statement of faith says. You got what I'm saying? Right? Okay? And so it's went all over the place. And then on the other end of the spectrum, what we've had is, is we've had folks who have tried to create these copycat sort of deals. Now, if I'm honest about it, this will offend all of you. College students are a bunch of copycats anyways. If you don't believe me... Um, Y'all know what the Cameron Crazies are, right? They were the original ones, right? And now you go to anywhere in any sort of basketball school or any school that's even not very good at basketball and they got a student section that's trying to do something, right? Bunch of copycats. Does that make sense? Right? Hey, one, God can still move, Right? The reality is, is if a, if a school somewhere and students somewhere go, man, we're going to sit around and pray and worship Jesus for hours upon hours, I'm not really sure what's wrong with that. I'm just not really sure what the issue is. It doesn't make sense to me, whatever the intention may have been at the beginning as far as copycat or whatever the case may be, okay, praying is bad? <laughs> Worshiping Jesus is bad? Now, I will say this. Remember, it's not emotionalism. So if you start getting crazy and doing junk out of order, Paul talks a lot about order in the church. 
and order in worship. Do you hear me? So you go back and check Paul's because writings because here's the deal. What I would say is this. Is that we've got one end that says no, 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 and they kind of nitpick everything. And then we got this other end that says we're going to do all this crazy stuff over here, right? Because we want to, and this is the bad part. Some people say we want to manipulate things to create our own revival, right? Not good. That part's not good, right? Why don't we do this instead? Why don't we do what the Bible says? Why don't we seek God's face? Why don't we pray? Why don't we confess and repent? Why don't we worship him? And let him sort out what other people's intentions are. Why don't we not do what we did in the 80s as Baptists and kill something that was a movement of God? Does that make sense? Now let me be very clear. You know me if you talk to me individually. That I have some very, very strong convictions doctrinally about how things should and shouldn't be done when it comes to worship. You know that. But what I would also tell you is this. Is there are primary doctrinal issues, there are secondary doctrinal issues, and there are tertiary doctrinal issues. A tertiary doctrinal issue, just shut your mouth and deal with it. I'm just being honest. A secondary doctrinal issue, you probably ought not go to the same church together. That's kind of why we have denominations and different churches and so forth. A primary doctrine is you start talking about the deity of Christ, right? You start talking about those kind of things, the things that all orthodox believers believe. Well, well now we got a heretic, so now we got an issue, right? You definitely shouldn't go to church with them, okay? Invite them to your church so they can hear the real gospel, Okay? But my point is this. The Bible gives us guardrails. And you have to understand that in the United States of America, historically, when any movement of God has occurred, it has occurred across denominational lines. And you have to understand that when that takes place, go talk to a missionary on the international mission field. All of a sudden, lines start getting blurred as long as you stay within those guardrails. Scripture is our guardrails. Does that make sense? Scripture is our guardrails. If it's outside of Scripture, don't let somebody tell you, well, the Holy Spirit led me to do it. If it's outside of Scripture, and you say, the Holy Spirit led me to do it, and you're driving a car real fast, you're still going to crash into the guardrail and die, right? Does that make sense? Okay? But within those guardrails, be gracious. Be gracious. So, what in the world are we going to do? Well, we're not going to schedule a revival. It's not what we're going to do. We're not. But we are going to pray. Matter of fact, did y'all know that Thursday is the Collegiate National Day of Prayer? Did y'all know that? The 23rd? Y'all didn't know what that was, did you? That's kind of cool, isn't it? He and our prayer catalyst is like, woo, praise Jesus. All them prayer catalysts, all prayer folks are a little charismatic anyway, so we'll give you a break. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I love you, Ian. I love you. All right, but hey, listen. That was a joke. Don't get offended. Okay? Not at that one. There's enough other offenses to go around. So what we're going to do on Thursday the 23rd is this. We're going to start at 8 o'clock that morning. We're going to go 8 o'clock that night. There's going to be a start time and an end time. Does that make sense? Okay? There's going to be a start time and an end time. Because remember, revival is not about continual worship. That's not what it's about. It may look like that on the front end, 
right? Do you know Asbury now is like basically not letting people come in anymore because like it's gotten so crazy? Like they finally stopped it. That's one of the issues if you start the whole continual worship thing. Like it's like when do you stop it? Like and when you stop the continual worship, does that mean the revival's over? Y'all know what I'm saying? Like is the revival over now because now they're only doing it once a day? Like I don't, I don't think so. But what I will tell you is this. is historically, again, like I said before, we know about revivals usually after the fact. Now we've seen enough revivals in the United States that can we usually tell some indicators of them? Yeah. Yeah. In 1972, people really knew that that Jesus movement was something crazy happening. They really did. And it went on for another like 10 years. But we're going to start at 8 a.m. We're going to finish at 8 p.m. On every hour, we're going to have scripture reading. We're going to have some like five-minute sort of devotional deal. Um, I'm going to do one of those. Some of our staff's going to do one of those. Joe Frazier's going to do one of those. Parker's going to do one of those. Uh, Sean D's going to do one of those. Um, Prince and Wadi have a crazy weekend. So Adam's trying to make sure that um, y'all's student guy doesn't make him work like an 18-hour day on Thursday. Otherwise, he's going to do one of those. I'm calling John Chanel in the morning at Wadi. We've got some other guys in the community that are going to do one of those, okay? We're asking our musicians to give us an hour of their day where they're going to pray. We're going to worship. While they play, we can sing, we can pray, we can worship, we can do whatever Scripture allows. You do something outside of Scripture, you're going to end up in my office, we're going to talk about it. Like I was a principal at a high school. You understand me? Okay? All right? We're not having silliness. Um, and we're going to trust what God does. We're going to pray for revival within your own heart and life. We're going to pray about the J.D. Greer event. We're going to pray about our spring break trip. We're going to pray about these different things. And we're not going to do it out of some place of, oh, we want to manipulate things to create some experience. It's not what we're going to do. We just want to give you an opportunity on the collegiate day of prayer to have some time alone with God. Now, I'll tell you this. This is funny. Collegiate day of prayer has a simulcast they do every year. Do you know where that simulcast has been scheduled for a long time to be out of this year? Asbury in their chapel. Maybe that's why they had to stop the continual worship. I don't know. All right. They got to get ready for Thursday. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of cool, right? Those from a liturgical background, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, right? So, what's my point? My point is... That, yes, it can be confusing. And you can hear a lot of different things. But understand this. If you are far from God in your life right now, but you are a believer. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you know you're in, as one of the passages we read, sort of in a backslidden state. You know that you're at a place where you're not following Jesus in your daily life. You know you're in a place where you're not doing the things he's called you to do. You're not being obedient to him. You need revival. You don't need to go to some service where you have an experience or you can sit there for seven hours. No, you need revival in your life because you need an encounter with God where you can repent and confess your sin and you leave that place in that moment being obedient to him in your life. And I would say that ultimately as a church, and I say this as the local church and I say this as the global church, we need revival. 
We don't need more worship music. We don't need more emotional experiences. We need Christians and believers who will repent and confess their disobedience to God, their unwillingness to stand upon the truth of His Word, and will live out their life in a way that is pleasing to Him and brings glory to Him by being obedient to what He's called them to do. And when that happens, guess what? That revival goes from revival to harvest. That's what it does. You can have revival in your bedroom. You can have revival in here. You can have revival every Sunday in your church. Be humble. Be broken. Be contrite. That's what leads to biblical revival. I know I said we had a Q&A, and I'm way over, and I didn't mean to. See, this is what happens when you don't prep. Like, you prep, and then you don't realize, like, you prep the last day. Does that make sense? Y'all got what I'm saying? Okay? I literally just, like, got a text that, on Twitter that popped up with somebody making a snarky comment about what's going on in Asbury. As I literally said that to check my time. Isn't that sad? All right? Now, here's the point. Anybody got any questions? <laughs> We'll take five minutes. Zach, come get the microphone. It's okay to ask questions. I've rant and raved for a minute. And they can be very good questions. Like, no matter what the question is, it's going to be a good one. Anybody got a question? This man right up here has got a question. We got all kinds of questions. All right, let's start here and then go to Kennedy. All right, right here. Yeah, we got a microphone for you. Oh, I do get a microphone. Yay, let's go. Listen, okay, so the thing that you say is happening Thursday, National Collegiate Day of Prayer, whatever it is here, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., what are we calling it? It's a day of prayer. A day of prayer. Yes. So if I have somebody, a believer from another ministry, and, I'm, and I say, BCM's doing something today, I don't look at them and say, this is not a revival. I don't look at them and say, this is a revival. I say, we're doing some, a day of prayer. That's correct. Come on out. That is correct. Awesome. And that's not me trying to be cute with words. It's literally what it is. That's a good question. <laughs> like... Yes, over here. Yeah, hey, Madison. Hi. Hey. Um, I have a question. I really love what you said about revival from harvest, but I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. Yes. So it, like, starts, that's how it brings in numbers of, like, unbelievers in the yes. past. It, it starts here, and then it goes out. Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. Yeah. So ultimately, revival starts in the individual heart of the believer, right? That's where it starts. And then you see, if, if I mean, in this case, it was, like, 18 people, and it was really just one that was... That, that sort of felt that place of, man, I need to repent and confess some things. And then it spread from there, right? And so the question becomes is, regardless of how many meetings we have across the country or how many other things happen, the question becomes is that what would show this is true revival, which I pray that it is and I support that it is 100% wholeheartedly, is that somewhere along the way there will be a harvest where we see an increase in salvations and baptisms as well across the country. So, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Um, okay, so my question was about, um, you know how you're talking about how before there was a revival, or what was it called, the Jesus? Jesus movement, yes. Yes, the Jesus movement. And you said something like, I don't want us to like waste this opportunity or yeah. stop now what God is doing but I feel like if 
it's God working through his people and like working through the world. How in our power can we stop him? That, that's a good question. Um, what I would say is this, is, 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 and this is a personal conviction. I mean, it's based on scripture. It's personal conviction that we do have the ability to quench the Holy Spirit. Um, I mean, I've, I've shared with people the gospel before and know that I should have given them an opportunity to respond in that moment. And just out of fear or just out of, oh, I think I didn't do this right, walk away from that. And, and, and again, I, I'm, I trust God's sovereignty. There's no question about that. But I also know that he uses us as the agents to share the, the gospel, right? And, 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 I, and I also know that ultimately that within our world, we've seen historically where that there were some amazing things that God was doing through things like the Jesus movement to where folks who really were good intentioned. So I, I don't want to blast like, but, but like they spoke up and started focusing on, in some cases, secondary and tertiary doctrinal issues when they probably should have said, how can we embrace this and bring people in and then help them to understand a little bit about what's going on? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. So like, I'll give, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. Um, like y'all know this about me, like, like, so like when it comes to spiritual gifts, because a lot of times in revivals you see like worship services where there's things that happen that not everybody may be comfortable with. Does that make sense? Right? Like I, I, I've never spoken in tongues in my life. I personally believe that that is something that ended at the closure of the Bible being completed. Um, I'm a cessationist is, is what that word is. Um, I have a caveat to that, which is weird, which some people would say is kind of weird, because I, I do know that if you go to the international mission field, where the, especially where you see that Scripture hasn't been translated into their languages, you see a lot of crazy miracles happen that seem very similar to what we see in the, in the book of Acts, right? But I'm also not going to argue with a friend of mine who may love Jesus with all their heart that says they have a private prayer language. Does that make sense? Like... That, that, that's one form that people say that they'll speak in tongues or whatever, right? Like, if they want to have a discussion, I'll tell them why I believe, like, even in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, like, the, the word that's used really references languages that are spoken and, and that it was a, a God thing in that moment and all this stuff. And I'll go to what Paul says about order in the church. And basically, he was like, okay, so you speak in tongues. Well, we don't really need that right now. It's like clanging cymbals, love each other, right? Like, I'll, I'll go there, but at the same time, if they want to, but I'm not going to run around like bashing somebody that I know is doing the work of the Lord because they're not a cessationist. Does that make sense? Because I could stop something in that case that God is really doing because of really what's a secondary issue, right? Now, if they say that that's required for proof of salvation, that's a different story. Now we got a bigger issue, right? So I don't want to stop a movement of God in somebody's life or in the life of a group of people because I'll pick a fight over something that's not... It's important, don't get me wrong, but it's not quite as important as sometimes we make it. Does that help? Okay. Anybody else? Yes. Hey, um, how could um, we here at UGA, how can we help, um, help, the, help these movements grow... Um, and to, to look more like what the church, or how do I put this, how do I phrase this correctly? I, I think I know what you're asking. Yeah, how, how, do we, how do we take, you said take, um, take them under our wing more. Yeah, yeah. To where if there's confusion where how they should be acting, how can we do that that doesn't involve getting in like social media wars? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Don't get in social media wars. That would be my first statement, right? That's just, that's dumb. 
All right. Number two, what I would say is this, is that there are great discipleship opportunities that show up. Whether it's you and a friend, whether it's you and a, a, a you know, someone that, that there's, there's, and, and you got to, again, you got to differentiate between what's primary, secondary, tertiary issues. And I don't have time tonight to go into all that. You can ask me individually, shoot me a text or whatever, and we can talk about some of those individually. But what I would say is, is that um, in your life, you're going to interact with people that don't have the same convictions. They will tell you that they believe the Bible is an inspired and infallible and errant word of God, right? They'll tell you that. And so you might think in your mind, and this is something you all have to learn. You think in your mind, well, that means they believe exactly the way I believe, okay? Well, I took a hermeneutics class back in seminary, and what I'll tell you is, is there are certain passages of Scripture that even us as Baptists have about three or four different ways to interpret. I'll give you an example. Whether women can teach men or not within the local church. I didn't say whether they could pastor. All Baptists have the same if they say that they hold true to what Baptist doctrine is. They'll say the same thing about that. But as far as the ability to teach in the local church men, literally there's like four, actually I guess it's five. There's like five interpretations of Paul's writings that if you were to ask a trained biblical scholar, they would say, yes, all five of those fit within what we would consider an inerrant view of Scripture. Does that make sense? Well, that means that's a secondary issue. You got it? Is that a conversation you can have with somebody? Of course it is. Do you need to browbeat them over it? Probably not. If you're pastoring your church, that's a different story one day if you're pastoring a church, right? That's your church, right? But, but at the same time, um, discipleship is the way that we do that on those major issues. It's how we do that. How's that come? It comes through relationships and conversations. Yeah, that's good. Not through social media. Great point. Anybody else? Yes, Scout. Uh, I'm not going to completely miss something earlier, but <laughs> earlier you said revival is for the believer, the church, and the Christian. Yeah. Um, so what about when we're talking about people who aren't believers or they might be new? Yeah. Is it something completely different? Yeah, and that's where I would say, and again, I'm talking about more like the movement. Like if you talk about a revival being a movement, like a term, like describing something overarching. It is, it is for the believer. But remember, as I said to, to Madison a minute ago, when that movement takes a hold of enough believers, what happens is, is we see an overflow and we see a harvest of people coming to know Christ. So yeah, so that, you didn't miss it. I, that's what I said. But, but when you start defining revival in its in what it truly means, um, it is for the believer. Like, it is truly for the believer. Um, salvation is for the unbeliever, right? Salvation is for the unbeliever. Yeah. Anybody else? We got a question way in the back. Hey, Tommy. Hey, what's up? Um, so I my can't question, see who you are. It's Brooke. Oh, hey, Brooke, what's up? <laughs> so my question is, when we go from revival as believers that we feel convicted of that sin, what does harvest look like? Share, sharing the gospel with somebody. What would you say it looks like in our personal daily walks, like with Christ? Yeah, so I would say that, that and that's what I mean. Like, so, like, when you, so part of being obedient in your walk with Christ is you are sharing the gospel with your lost friends. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Like, part of being obedient to God in your daily life is that you're sharing the gospel with your friends. Like, you're sharing to them what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer. And so, 
Like the term, like the biblical term harvest is where you see lost people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says the, the, labor, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. So what Jesus is kind of calling us, he says pray for, the, pray for the laborers of the harvest. That's what he calls us to do. And so ultimately the idea there is, is that when you as a believer are revived and you begin to be obedient to God in your life, it's going to result and you sharing your faith. The same way, check this out, the same way that we always talk about that discipleship and evangelism is a circular model, right? Discipleship is not discipleship unless it ends with more evangelism. Does that make sense? So if I'm, so if, if I, if I'm taking justice and justice comes to know Christ as Lord and Savior and I'm like, hey, justice, let's be a part of this Bible study. Hey, justice, let's be a part of this community group, whatever we may call it, right? Hey, justice, let's meet together every so often. It's only discipleship if my objective is to see justice sharing his faith with others, right? So discipleship ends in harvest. Revival in your own life ends in harvest. Ultimately, it, it ends in evangelism. So when I say harvest, I mean evangelism is, is what I mean there. Does that help? Okay, good. Anybody else? I'm going to take one more. If there is one more. Going once. Going twice. Sold. Band, I know you're supposed to play again, but we're not going to do that because it's really late. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. But when I pray, I want you to pray. <laughs> it's the objective. <laughs> and if you so desire, I want you to pray for revival in your own heart and own life. If you know you're already being obedient to God and you know that like, you, you, you've got somebody that you're accountable with and you're confessing sin and you've repented of those sins in your life and all those things, right? Like, number one, you're going to sin more, so, like, repent more, right? But number two, um, like, pray to continue to be obedient to what God's called you to do, okay? Pray to do that. And then secondly, I'd say this. If you're here tonight and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you can't have revival until you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, Ultimately, you have to come to the place where you acknowledge your sin. And with a humble and contrite heart, you turn to Jesus, you repent of your sin, and you ask him to forgive you of your sin and to save you. Putting your faith and trust in the fact that he died for you and rose three days later. And here's the cool thing about it. The humble and contrite heart is required for salvation. Well, for the believer, it's also required for revival. Does that make sense? So my prayer for all of you today is if you're an unbeliever, that you have a humble and contrite heart and that you call out to Christ for salvation. And that if you are a believer, that you are constantly, daily, seeking out ways in which God needs to revive your heart and that you're calling on Him to do that. I can tell you if we have a ministry of students who are constantly seeking after God's face, who are constantly seeking to be obedient to Him, who are constantly seeking to share with others the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. I can tell you, revival will break out on this campus and they can call it whatever they want to call it. That's the truth. Because you think about this. The campus minister that was here for 30 years used to tell this to students all the time. Everywhere you go on this campus, you take the Holy Spirit and Jesus with you. And do you know what you need for revival? You need you <laughs> and the Holy Spirit. 
It's what you need. It's what you need. So let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed this week's message, share it with a friend. To stay up to date with us, follow us on Instagram at UGABCM. We hope to see you next Monday night at Gathering. Oh,